0: Scripture repeatedly exhorts us to fear the Lord. But what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? I've never been quite satisfied by the answer that many well-intentioned Christians give when they say, well, to fear the Lord doesn't mean to be afraid of God because we don't have anything to be afraid of on account of Christ. To fear the Lord simply means that we should respect him. Now, I understand what they're getting at, but I don't completely agree. Picture with me the ocean. On the one hand, the ocean is inviting and calming and refreshing and familiar. But on the other hand, and at the very same time, the ocean is dreadful, untamable, formidable, and treacherous. The first set of characteristics doesn't make the second set untrue, nor does the second set make the first set untrue, and so they must be held in tension together. I am enchanted by the ocean and its inviting charm but at the very same time i am tremendously afraid of the ocean and its inconceivable power i'm personally convinced that this is how we must regard the most high and holy god in isaiah chapter 6 which is not our passage this morning but in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah is given a vision of God. Now, Isaiah was without an arguable doubt the most righteous and zealous follower of God in all of Judah. And yet, at the mere sight of God in a vision, he trembles with terror and he cries out, Oh no! Oh no! I am coming undone. I am being pulled apart at the seams. Isaiah was deeply afraid of what he saw. And I think that this must inform our fear of God. I think this is how we must regard he who is the all-consuming fire of holiness. And when we fail to fear God as we ought, the familiar and approachable side of God so dominates our focus that our conduct toward him becomes dangerously casual, like the foolish king Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. The book of Daniel, if you're just joining us, tells the story of four Israelite teenagers who among roughly 5,000 others are torn from their families and homes and they are deported to a faraway country of Babylon where they are faced with an array of danger and darkness and they serve a series of pagan kings. As we come into Daniel chapter 5, our passage this morning, Nearly 70 years have passed since the events of chapter 1. King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and Daniel is likely in his 80s. And although Daniel is living in Babylon, he's kind of faded into obscurity. After Nebuchadnezzar's passing in between chapters 4 and 5... The throne of Babylon has been occupied by several kings whose reigns were all short-lived. And Belshazzar, whom we're about to meet in chapter 5, he isn't even the true king. The true king of Babylon is Nabonidus, who, according to world history, departed Babylon for a 10-year campaign in Arabia. But before his departure, he made Belshazzar his kingly co-regent he was like junior varsity king over Babylon as we read chapter 5 Belshazzar is frequently referred to as Nebuchadnezzar's son but the Aramaic word for son also means ancestor and it is more likely that Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and he is about as millennial as grandsons come He doesn't like to work, but he does like to call himself king, and he likes to act irreverently while he throws himself wild parties, even though the enemy army of the Medes and King Darius are encamped right outside the walls of Babylon. This is the scene that we are coming into in Daniel chapter 5, and I'd invite you to follow along as I read it. And the king and his lords, his wives and concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm alarm you, or your color change. There is... A man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you, your lords, your wives, and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways. You have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed "Meanie, Meanie, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the manner. Meanie, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Pires. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, this is your holy word. And we ask that you would give us understanding. That you would humble us. That you would grant to us the ability to obey. To glorify you. And to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. The writing is on the wall is a popular phrase that's used to say, things are not good. (laughs) Something bad is about to happen. The writing is on the wall. This popular phrase stems from Daniel chapter 5. Now there are a number of ways we could break this chapter down a number of insights we could draw from it. For instance, we could consider again what we've considered the last couple weeks, that God is sovereign over nations and kingdoms and that he gives kingship to whomever he will. We could consider how God is able to humble prideful men like he did Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four, but sometimes God chooses not to humble prideful men such as we've just seen with Belshazzar. We could consider again how the brightest pagan wise men of of Babylon are of no help to a king who who needs supernatural help. And we could also consider this fascinating similarity that is emerging between the Babylonians and the people of Israel. Both people had repeatedly witnessed the powerful works of God and yet both of them had quickly forgotten or repressed what they had seen. We could consider any one of these but for the remainder of our time let's put ourselves in Belshazzar's shoes and let's consider two sobering themes that are made clear in this chapter if you're a note taker Number one of our outline will be, God will not be mocked. And number two, we will all be weighed in God's balance. Number one, God will not be mocked. In verses one through four, Belshazzar hosts a huge banquet. For a thousand of his nobles and wives and concubines. So picture it. Mountains of food. Fountains of wine. And probably a lot of X-rated activity. This banquet was no classy dinner event. It was a cesspool of vainglorious pleasure. Ordinarily. Babylonian kings wouldn't risk drinking in front of such a crowd, but Belshazzar's in a mood. Drunk on his own power, he orders his aides to go and fetch the holy vessels that had once been used in service to God within the Jerusalem temple. If you remember, back to Daniel chapter 1 Nebuchadnezzar had first conquered Jerusalem and he took these vessels from the temple and then put them on display in his museum as a tribute to his victory over the people of Judah and their God. And now Belshazzar takes these vessels that were only to be used in worship of the one true God and he fills them with wine and then he and his nobles and wives and concubines drink to the honor of their Babylonian gods. Please see with me that this is a desecrating mockery of the most high and holy creator God. It is a mockery to misuse or mistreat or misemploy anything that belongs to and bears the name of our holy God. It is a mockery when the world terminates the life of an unborn baby in the name of my body, my choice. It is a mockery when the world validates and celebrates the marriage of two men, the marriage of two women, or as recently has happened in the UK, the marriage of a man and a dog and a woman and a roller coaster. You can't make that up. It is a mockery when the world prescribes hormone blockers and performs amputations on eight-year-old boys and girls who don't yet feel very boyish or girlish. The mockeries of the world are easy to point at. But what about the mockeries here in the church? It is a mockery of the most high and holy God when a professing Christian husband degrades and devalues and dishonors the woman that God has entrusted to his sacrificial love. It is a mockery of the most high and holy God when a professing Christian wife disputes and disregards and derides the man that God has entrusted to her submissive love. It is a mockery of the Most High and Holy God when professing Christian parents in the name of free-range parenting callously ignore and fail to disciple the children that God has entrusted to their shaping love. if Belshazzar's mistreatment of God's temple vessels is a damnable mockery, and it is, how much more is it a mockery of God when we mistreat God's human vessels? God will not be mocked. It is a hard but very necessary word for me to hear and for you to hear. God will not be mocked. As Belshazzar and his scumbag counterparts mock the most high and holy God verses five and six immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the palace wall across from the from the, from the lantern, which is like the illuminated part of the wall that everyone could see at the at the appearance of this mysterious hand. Belshazzar is scared into sobriety. In fact, in the Aramaic language, when it says that his limbs give way, it actually means that his bowels give way right there on the banquet hall floor. We can laugh a little bit at that. It's okay. In verses seven through nine this party screeches to a halt and Belshazzar screams for his wise men like Nebuchadnezzar so often did but once again the best and brightest wise men of Babylon prove they're not up to the task they can't interpret the heavenly handwriting in verse 10 the queen which here refers to Belshazzar's mother the queen mother scrambles into the banquet hall on account of all the commotion And after she goes through the typical formalities of, oh, king, live forever. And here's a change of pants, sweetheart. After she goes through the formalities, she then reminds Belshazzar that there is a man in Babylon who used to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. A man who actually possesses the holy wisdom that all the wise men of Babylon covet. Now, before we move on to our our, our final point in in the second half of the story, circle back with me to the ocean and to the fear of God. Because it is precisely an absence of the fear of God that leads Belshazzar to abuse God's property. In the same way, that you and I would be out of our minds to think that because we've played in the gentle waves of the outer banks, we're now qualified for a swim in the Bering Sea. So you and I would be out of our minds to read this story and then to continue playing casual with the holy God who holds our breath in his hands. let me ask you what I'm asking myself. Is your absence of fear toward God, is your absence of fear leading you to play casual with marriage, sexuality, gender, the sanctity of human life? God will not be mocked. Is your absence of fear toward God leading you to play casual With your God-given role as a husband, a wife, a parent, God will not be mocked. Is your absence of fear toward God leading you to play casual with the money, the house, the possessions, the gift of retirement that has been entrusted to you? God will not be mocked. And it's when we fail to fear God as we ought that we fall into the same behavioral contempt as Belshazzar. Point number one, God will not be mocked. Number two, we will all be weighed in God's balance. In verses 13 through 16, Belshazzar brings Daniel into the banquet hall in front of all his guests, and then he compensates for his own wet pants by belittling Daniel, by entreating him this way, so you are that Daniel whom Nebuchadnezzar tore from his home and brought here as an exiled servant? Well, Daniel, my wise men can't interpret the writing on the wall, but I'm told that you can. And if you do, I'll make a name for you. I'll clothe you with prominence and power. In verses 17 through 28, Daniel seizes the opportunity to preach to a captive audience with the heavenly poise that has marked him for seven decades. You can keep your gifts, Belshazzar, or you can give them to someone else. The most high God has given kingship to you in the same way he did to Nebuchadnezzar, but you have not humbled your heart as Nebuchadnezzar did when God brought him low. Even though you know that Nebuchadnezzar's rule was restored to him only after he learned to worship and honor the most high, even though you know that, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven you have mocked him by mistreating that which belongs to him and to add insult to insult you have praised your fictitious gods of silver and gold bronze, iron, wood and stone when it is the God in heaven who holds your breath in his hand as for the writing on the wall it reads, meeny, mini, tekel and parson. And what that means is that the time of justice has come. You have been weighed in the balances of the most high God and you have come up empty. And your kingdom, it's already been given to the Medes and Persians. In verses 29 and 30, Belshazzar, who is probably somewhere in between complete denial and or a mental breakdown, right? Belshazzar insists in front of all of his banquet guests that a ceremony be conducted for Daniel and that Daniel be acknowledged as third in command, but Daniel's promotion would vanish quicker than Belshazzar's reign because that very night. The impenetrable city of Babylon is breached Belshazzar is put to death and the great Babylonian empire is ended let's reflect on and respond to this personally the sobering reality as Daniel Aiken puts it is that there is a Belshazzar Lurking in all of our hearts. Because we do not fear God as we ought, you and I and all of us have played casual with the precious vessels that God has entrusted to us for his namesake. Because we do not fear God as we ought, we have all in thought and word and attitude and action played casual with the spouse, the children, the talent and ability and treasure and tasks that God has entrusted to us. And the writing is on the wall. Here in this schoolhouse, in our homes, in our offices, in our gyms and grocery stores, and wherever it is we find ourselves throughout the week, the writing is on the wall. Meanie, Meanie, Tekel, and Parson, you and I have been weighed in God's balance. And just like Belshazzar, we're all found wanting. In and of ourselves. On that imminent day, when the trumpet sounds and the clouds part, and Christ returns in glory for all the world to see, you and I will give an account for the lives we have left, lived. We will be held accountable. For everything and everyone that God has entrusted to us. We'll be held accountable for marriage, gender, sexuality, sanctity of human life. Your role as a husband or a wife, a parent, the money you've been entrusted, the house you've been given, the possessions and the time you've been permitted to be a steward of the most high God, we will give an account on that imminent day and there will be no leniency for God is a most holy judge. We must expect him to uphold justice. And this is why the good news is so good. Because I can't bear the thought of being weighed before the eye of God. And if I, in and of myself, stand alone and face Him like this on my own, I will come up wanting. I'm already coming up wanting. It's hopeless. But there is another. There is another who has already and will be weighed on my behalf. and his weight accounted to me is the weight of perfect righteousness perfect blameless perfect stewardship of all that he'd been given perfect reverence for a holy father perfect everything across the board jesus jesus he has a name jesus family he lived the life that we have refused to live he died the death that we deserve to die for we are imbalanced in the scales of God and he rose to life ascended to his heavenly throne throne that we would forsake our unholy mockeries that we would cast ourselves upon the mercy of he who is Christ, the son of God, the just and the justifier of sinners. The only way under heaven, the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. And what? Does our repentant faith in Christ now permit us to go on and just continue to play casual with a holy God? no. No. I mean, Paul is emphatic throughout his letters. Is this all so that we may continue in sin? No, let it not be. Let it not be. Because Jesus, in his atonement, also purchased for us righteousness to walk in. Now. Now. Here's a story of what that might look like for us today. During my college years, I've... Shared with you before that I was brought onto the household staff of one of the richest men in America. I was brought on staff as a painter. And John, the man who trained me right before he retired, one of the things he taught me was Chris, Mr. Wexner has welcomed us into his home. Everything in this shop is his and he has entrusted it to us and so you with even this paintbrush honor him clean it out the best you can make it last as long as you can every single thing you see here belongs to him treat these things like they belong to him And so it is with the people of God who by repentant faith are already marked as perfect and righteousness because of the blood of Christ. And at the same time, we are growing up into that perfect righteousness. We must put it on. We must put it on. If you have not by repentant faith been brought into reconciled relationship with God, please receive the name of Christ and all of his mercies purchased on the cross and in his resurrection. Receive that. And if you are walking in a restored relationship with God, the most holy Father, now, today, go and treat everything that you have been given in your home If you're married, your spouse, if you have children, your kids, your job, your talents and abilities, treasures, possessions, all of it. Regard all of these things as given to you by the most holy creator God. And with the fear of God and his power, conduct yourselves accordingly, honor him. Pray for your wife and love her and steward her. Pray for your husband, respect and honor him. Pray for your kids and actually start raising them. These are holy vessels and we mustn't be caught playing it casual. And by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and by the blood of Christ, we can and will go and walk in a pleasing way to our God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to hold in tension how wonderfully approachable and inviting you are and how your kindness leads us to repentance and how you are our father now and forever. Hold that intention with, you are treacherously holy, unspeakably powerful, a deadly force not to be not to be messed with let us truly fear you as we ought holding it in tension with the fact that you are our loving father that we lord that our conduct would not drift into contempt and casualness but that our conduct would be held as very important that we would confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus, the son of God, has risen from the dead on account of paying for our sin and that we would now live lives that grow up into this righteousness that already covers us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to honor you as our most high and holy creator, God, who is worthy now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen.